This is part two of a two-part podcast. Hi, my name is Ryan. I've been a supporter of Paul's for many years now. I wish to get the podcast and video creation part of the system we call Paul back up to full speed. And I think Patreon support is a big part of that system. Go over to patreon.com slash paulwheaton. Make a pledge for each artifact that Paul creates. Again, the site is patreon.com slash paulwheaton. You can also find the link in the podcast notes. Enjoy the podcast. Pushback on presenting methane to Al Gore. And apparently Al Gore told this guy it's hard enough to get people to understand carbon dioxide. And so it's like, well, yeah, there are other gases and stuff, but carbon dioxide is the main one that we're focused on right now. Um, and and so, yeah, it is. It's a little bit challenging to show that you start mixing in the other things, and it's like it does get really comp- – it, it would get complicated enough that a lot of people would tune it out. Yeah. All right, <clears throat> next item. I've got down uh, good that they're throwing a lot of skepticism on the environmental industry, but you also need to throw a lot of skepticism on the skeptics. Yes. So there are a lot of people where they were, like, being interviewed. And I imagine <clears> – <throat> so then they, they clearly had some bad guys and good guys. And um, they did have uh, Michael Pollan in there. For yeah, his, I thought that yeah. was surprising. I was kind of thinking, like, oh, if you're going to have Michael Pollan in it, you're probably going to have, like, half the movie focus on Michael Pollan. But I kind of think – they had, total, had a total of about a minute and a half of Michael Pollan, and then they had, like, you know, a lot of time with these other people. I, I don't know how to say it. I'm going to say it, and it's it's probably unfair to say it. But when I was watching Michael Pollan talk, it almost looked like he had this look of, like, oh, geez, I really don't want to do this interview right now. <laughs> what did I get myself into? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'd be entirely wrong. And so... I'm going to guess that when he interviewed Michael Pollan, there was a total of an hour of material. And the other 58 minutes and 30 seconds of material of Michael Pollan talking didn't fit the agenda of the movie. And so that got taken out. Yeah. Well, and Um, I'll get to that point later. Okay. Go ahead. Okay. Well, all I'm saying is, is that, the skeptics brought up a lot of really good points, a lot of really serious problems. Mm-hmm. And, of course, they've already got their own solutions. And, and it's like I'm, I'm glad that they brought up their, skeptic, you know, their skeptics' position. And there's a lot of, like, let's look at these problems and let's address the problems and let's talk about the problems. And, uh, but at the same time, I'm kind of thinking, like, that's good. And then when they start talking about solutions, let's also be skeptical of what they're saying. <clears throat> I guess yeah. my overall message is, is that I think a lot of people will get a lot of value out of watching Cowspiracy. But uh, you kind of you, you need to be prepared. Yeah. Like there's a lot of good information in there to get out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, at the same time, it's like, Skip skip over the conclusions. And, and in fact, there, there was an interesting thing. Uh, before we watched the movie, 
uh, I think you told me uh, Leonardo DiCaprio is in it. And I was like, well, he just did that whole movie about CO2 and greenhouse gases like a year ago. And he, I didn't know he was in this one. And then and then you came back like a minute later with like, uh, oh, turns out he's not in it. He just produced it. Which is... It's like, oh, okay, huh. So. <clears throat> and then wasn't I also wrong then? And it was he was the. No, no, no. He was the producer, right? That's what we figured out. Yeah. Right. Right. I I think you may have said like maybe he's the director. And that's yeah. Like, yeah. That's right. I was wrong. He was a producer. So here's here's a bit that is um with the Sierra Club deputy executive director. Mm-hmm. So the movie guy says, "What is the leading cause of climate change?" And Deputy Bruce, that's that's how I wrote him down in my notes. Deputy Bruce, <laughs> Deputy Bruce says, "Burning too many fossil fuels, coal, natural gas, oil, dot dot dot." Mm-hmm. Movie guy, what about animal agriculture? And Deputy Bruce says. What about it? Movie guy says, UN report says livestock accounts for more than, I wrote down for more than all transportation. So clearly I wrote down shitty notes. <laughs> so the UN report says livestock contribute more uh, greenhouse gases than all of transportation. Right. And so... I, I don't know. That guy seemed like uh, he's not going to give up any any space. And it's like, nah. Um, and so uh, I kind of feel like, uh, I mean, first of all, did did you go look at the UN report? I didn't. I I've peeked at it, but not not enough to say much about it right now. Okay. Well. <clears throat> I kind of get the impression that people are saying that that's not what the UN report says. The the UN report says a different thing. But um, uh, but this the Sierra Club guy kind of seemed to you know be like, and you could kind of read it on his face like, ah, oh, what have I done? You know, right. uh, this is this is this my job talking to this guy? And so so I. And I think something that I was thinking about as they kept talking to each of these people and being like, hey, like there's like, I don't know what, four or five different people they brought on and were like, okay, but what about the animals? And it's like, they were, it was like they were trying to say, oh, here, I, I quoted, there was a question and said, why focus on fossil fuels and not cattle? And it's like, well, you see, these grains that we are growing to feed said cattle are being grown with fossil fuels. And it's like, if we would, <laughs> if we would focus on the not using fossil fuels thing, then suddenly we wouldn't be able to grow cattle this way. And your problem would also be solved. I kind of, I, 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 I love the idea that I, that a vegan makes a movie about how awesome veganism is. And covers the environmental gobbledygook. And I mean, like, there there are ways that a vegan diet can be 
you know, really good for the environment. But there's also ways that an omnivore diet can be really good for the environment. Yes. And, and it's kind of like, you know, and, and I, and I, the other thing is that I kind of feel like, um, if you want to convince more people to be vegan because you're enjoying veganism so much, then, um, I, I think that a, a good thing to do would be to, to talk about, you know, your choices and why and, and, and things like that. But it, it just kind of seems like if you start dipping into the dark side, let's say, I think it kind of ruins veganism. Um, I, in fact, I, I did find, and we, we, we agreed as part of this, we would spend no more than half an hour doing research before we recorded this podcast. Um, because we've got so much more stuff to do, blah, blah, blah. And so I wrote down one quote, and it was written by a vegan who was reviewing Cowspiracy. But I'm going to save that for the, for the end of the Okay, book. okay. All right, uh, lots of stuff about ocean problems. Yeah. Oh, I had. Uh, a lot of really good points about the fishery practices. There were things presented in this movie that I did not know. And uh, and now, granted, because there's a lot of misinformation in the movie, maybe some of this stuff is misinformation. Right. It kind of showed using nets and how it's like, okay, today we're going to go harvest, you know, I'm going to just say tuna. We're going to go harvest tuna today. Mm-hmm. And so we happened to catch... Like for every pound of tuna, we caught five pounds of other fish that we don't want. So, oops, they're dead. Yeah. And so we just hitch them over the side because uh, we're not allowed to, you know, keep that. And so they had a word for it. But I just kind of thought, wow. So for every for every pound of tuna they catch, there's five pounds of other animals yeah, other fish that get chucked, and and it's like that is that is brutal. Yeah, that is. So, <clears throat> but, I kind of feel like if they took away the subsidy, then suddenly people would buy less fish, and a lot of this fish would go away. Oh, and and also, there seemed to be I wasn't clear, but they were talking about sustainably harvested. Yeah, I. I didn't quite catch that either. Yeah. But it, it, this this one point they seem to be going at a lot was this idea of like, okay, for every five pounds of, or for every pound of fish you want, you're getting five pounds of quote-unquote waste. Which I'm sure some of that waste is for political reasons, like regulations that are like, no, you can't keep that other fish, even though you're like, but it looks yummy. And I caught it, so I might as well take it home. And they're like, nope, you can't. Yeah, but then like they went on, they went so far as to talk to like a whole bunch of people, and I I wrote down a quote here. It said, "There is no such thing as sustainable fishing," and they were like, "We need to just not eat fish ever." Was pretty much, and yeah, and no. and I thought to myself, you know, I bet you that you know at Sepp Holzer's place, when Sepp wants to go and harvest fish. I bet he doesn't have five pounds of undesirable fish for every pound of fish. True. Plus, the fish he's catching are not coming from the ocean. Yep. So, now, the fish that he's consuming 
probably still have a pretty high mercury content, but that comes from coal plants. Yes. And, and there's, you know, it's so difficult to get away from that. But I think there's ways to even reduce the mercury in your fish. But that's another story for another day. Yeah. Um, I felt like there was a lot of really great, really great information there about fish stuff. And it did seem like a lot of people were trying to dance around issues because yeah. it's like, oh, you can kind of tell who writes her checks. Yes. And um, and this guy was like being kind of relentless in that space. Mm-hmm. But but of course this is a this is a movie about isn't it great to be a vegan? So yeah. of course they're gonna have if if they if they find some people that have knowledge of this and they're vegans, then of course their message is we shouldn't eat any fish at all. Yeah, I think one of the I didn't actually write this down. Maybe you did, um, but I think I remember them saying something that I thought was rather alarming and rather like oh, like this is something we need to think about, is that it was something like 40, oh, I think I think they were trying to say in 2048 or something, like if we continue on the current trend, we will be out of fish. Like there will be no fish in the oceans, is what they were saying. I, I can't help but think that that, is, that cannot possibly ever be the case. I also thought that. Because it seems like you're going to get to a point where... There's so few fish that if you go out and you you power up a boat for a month-long trip out into the ocean and you come back with seven fish, it's going to be like, it's just not worth it. No subsidy is going to fix that. So, um, uh, yeah, so it's like it's going gonna, it's gonna to get to the point where it's just not worth doing it. Yeah. And so it's not that there's going to be zero. It's just that there's going to be like a really, really low number. Yes. Um, I, I kind of want to take a three hour detour into the world of like all the garbage in the oceans. But there I said it. I think I have to stop myself right there. Yeah. Because the problem, I mean, that was the other thing is throughout this movie, I kind of felt like this guy was sidestepping a lot of other problems, which he kind of has to do to make a movie. Right. But then he starts kind of cherry picking his problems and it's like, yeah, but that causes another problem. Yeah. And so <clears throat> the next item on my list, I'm just moving around along. Go ahead. Uh, interviewed a gal that seemed like the, sh- one of the, of all their, their so-called bad guys, you know, cause they're trying to like, you know, swoop down and say, yeah, but well, what about the cows, man? And so, mm-hmm. all right. The one that I thought was the sharpest of the lot was from the Amazon watch. Yeah. She was pretty sharp. Yeah. And then, cause that, that's the other thing too, is I want to just, when this whole movie started and it's like, this guy started talking about like, then I watched the Al Gore movie and I was so like upset. And I'm I'm kind of like listening to the guy talk and I'm thinking like, is he a surfer? Is he like a millennial surfer? You know, and it's like I'm having a hard time putting a lot of weight in what this guy says because it's, it, it's starting off with the guy. It's like his I don't know his dialect maybe, but the way he's expressing himself kind of makes me think that. 
this guy doesn't sound like a really sharp guy. Then they go, they interview some of the people, and one of the people that he interviews, it seems like this guy looks like, he looks like he's a surfer, but he's decided to be the spokes puppet for some marine organization. Okay, I think I know the one you mean. Yeah, and, and so I kind of felt like there's two of them talking to each other right now. Whoa, dude, you catching waves later? Oh, yeah, totally. And so I, I'm just kind of like, it's like two surfer dudes, two, two surfer millennial guys, you know, trying to, trying to talk and, and, uh, oh, I'm totally going to make you look dumb, man. And, and, uh, so I'm seeing Spicoli, you know, playing a role in this stuff. All right. <clears throat> um, but it was like, it was about 10 minutes into the movie. I thought this guy isn't that way at all. He's, he's, He's a, he's like three or four steps up from what I assumed when he, when the movie started. And, uh, and I should point out that there are some very super genius people that are surfers. Jeff Lawton is a surfer. Yep. And, um, uh, and, uh, I've got people in my family that are magnificent people that are surfers. But of course, at the same time, it's like there are some people that it's kind of like you're just, and then plus there's, People that are kind of like you think are are they a surfer and you know that they've never seen the ocean. <laughs> it's like it's I'm obviously you know somehow I'm confusing between people who surf and I think people who really enjoy marijuana, and so I I think that's my error. That's entirely my error. Um, okay, all right. there's this woman, the Amazon watch woman, seemed very sharp, and um. She says, why isn't anybody doing anything about this? And then she said, and this, and that's like, I'm amazed that she would say this on camera, but in Brazil, a lot of people speaking out got killed. And then a thing came up on the screen. Over 1,100 activists have been killed in the last 20 years in Brazil. Wow. I missed that. And they were kind of like, yo, you know, these were these were people that were saying like, "Hey, uh, don't cut down the rainforest." What do you think, huh? And uh, and then they'd be openly gunned down. And so they even had a little thing where they talked about this woman who was an American nun who was living in Brazil, and she was uh, speaking out in support of like, "Let's let's keep the rainforest. It's like important and stuff." And she was just openly gunned down. And it was like they had pictures of her dead body and stuff. It's like, Ugh. yeah. But um, there's a, I mean, there's a lot of people mysteriously dying in the United States too. I'm, I'm amazed. I'm still allowed to be alive. I must not be doing a very good job if I'm. Still alive. <laughs> um. <clears throat> so let's see. Uh, he visits a sustainable meat operation. Ooh. Lots of pastures. I have a couple points before that. Is it okay if I throw them in here yet? Yes. Okay. Uh, one was we were talking about the cow poop thing before because they keep they kept getting back to that. And I wrote down they they really tried hard to emphasize 116,000 pounds of cow poop produced every second in the U.S. alone. Yeah. And it's like cool. Every second there's 116,000 pounds of really awesome fertilizer. 
<laughs> yeah, you say it like it's a bad thing. <laughs> and then they, yeah, and then the other point that came shortly after was blaming the animal agriculture on the dead zones in the Gulf, which is like, okay, I'm pretty sure, like, okay, there is some nitrogen in the manure that maybe some of that will wash in, but like, I'm pretty sure the petroleum-based fertilizers we're putting on all the crops is a much larger issue in that space. You know, I kind of wonder if we took away subsidy for corn, which is um, subsidized at least three to one. It might possibly be four to one. Um, And then we took away the subsidies for petroleum. I kind of wonder... Like, and then we took away the subsidies for the fishing and the subsidies for, I don't know, maybe there's subsidies for beef. I don't know if there's subsidies for beef. Um, but if we took away just the, the subsidies in the space, like, like what would happen to the market? What would it be like? I would imagine that anything with wheat and corn would become probably five to ten times more expensive. Then, like, what if we took away all of the Kim Ag subsidy stuff. And, um, I mean, I would, I would like to think that what's going to happen because didn't, because like a lot of the stuff that he talked about, about all of this, you know, manure runoff going into the Gulf of Mexico, then, um, I, I kind of wonder if a lot of that would go away. Yeah. Because currently right now a lot of uh of people raising beef are doing uh paddock shift systems. They just make more money. And so then it kind of seems like if you took away all those subsidies, then I think all of it would be that way. I mean when they when they looked at that farm, the sustainable meat operation, yeah. I really wish there were a lot more trees, but the pasture looked quite lush. Yes, I agree. And uh, I'm kind of thinking like, okay, I didn't see a three-foot deep pile of shit. Nope. In fact, uh, they were with they were with the cattle. I didn't see any shit anywhere. And so when it comes to this whole argument about like, oh, these cows are like, you know, poisoning our oceans with their manure, I'm kind of thinking like, these these ones aren't. Yeah, you know, and and he didn't point that out. Like, well, this is better, but then you know he was trying to make these other points, which I don't think added up. No. Uh, so, um, all right. <clears throat> uh, how? And then and then the uh, the movie guy asked the question of those people. By the way, are you are you done with the thing before this point? Yeah, we're good to go. Okay. The movie guy asked them, "How do you offset?" the carbon footprint. And she replied with like, like she kind of looked like, is this guy for real? (laughs) And she, and she says, uh, our livestock don't have a carbon footprint. And then that's when the movie guy goes in the math mode. Yeah. And so, um, it's like, but, but you did. Yeah. Your math doesn't work out. No, I actually, I read, I read something in our, in our short research time before we, hit the record button, I read something from a guy who was like, yeah, so I actually looked up that particular farm that they went to. Um, and so he assumed what seemed to me at least, and I'm not an expert in the space, seemed to me like a fairly 
low stocking rate. And I, this guy was like, oh, I went to their website and it's because they don't just raise cows. They also raise sheep and like they raise like five different things all in like a mixed, you know, like a, a paddock shift system with multi-species. And I don't know if it's all in the paddock at the same time or whatever, but it was like the person was suggesting that when this video was taken, it was almost as if, yeah, a lot of the stuff that would make it accurate was conveniently left out. Yeah. And so I think that's what happened with the math there as well. Okay. All right. He next goes and visits a dairy farm. And, uh, and so the movie guy asks the dairy farmer, he says, I guess on a global scale, dairy is not sustainable. And the dairy farmer says, unless we start digging up houses and putting pastures back. And so, but like when we watched <clears throat> film of, of his operation and uh, of course the movie guy tried to show the ugliest parts of it, which there was a lot of stuff that, you know, made me nauseous. Yep. I was nauseous too. Um, I'm kind of thinking like, you know, rather than having one dairy farmer um, and he, and that's all he does is dairy uh, and he's got like, I don't know, I'm going to guess he's probably got a thousand head, something like that. And uh, there's a lot of unpretty things. What if you've got somebody that has like four and, um, you know, and, and does the milking by hand rather than all these machines and stuff? And it's more about raw milk and things. And then not only that, but it's like these animals graze in gardens, you know, so you got a paddock shift system and, and then the animals get moved around and, and they, uh, they, they hit some paddocks that don't have gardens. They hit some paddocks that do have gardens. Yeah. You know, um, the other thing is, is that I was thinking like, uh, uh, unless you start digging up houses and putting pastures back and I'm kind of thinking like, okay, if you have a wafati, then the cow can graze on the roof. <laughs> yeah, and I guess so. So it's, so it's kind of like, you know, there's been zero dent in the whole. And then not only that, but, you know, we're designing the system so the cow can come and graze all of the gardens and all of that. And it's like, you know, now, of course, some people are going to be like, no, don't eat my garden. And it's like, well, if the animal's only in there long enough to eat or if the animals are only in your paddock with your gardens long enough to only eat 30% and then you get um, five times more growth mm-hmm. out of all of your things, I think it turns out to be worth it, doesn't it? Yeah, I think there might be. So in general, I think I agree. I think there might be some stuff where the cows may trample a bunch of stuff that they don't eat and you're kind of like, oh, shoot, I was hoping that wouldn't get trampled. Right. But I think, yeah, if you that, got some, that point is not to say don't do it. If you got some big hookah culture beds, then they're probably not going to go up on top of the hookah culture beds. That's, right. Or if you have tree crops. They're, true. Yeah. yeah. So um, then we get to the point about desertification is caused by overgrazing. Um, and then the whole thing about Alan Savory. Now, I I think, 
I, I, Alan Savory says that there's like, you know, thousands of studies done on overgrazing, but not one of them actually shows any kind of proof of where, of, of like overgrazing is actually a thing. Now I have personally seen land where people would put animals in a space and they would obliterate every green thing there is. Yeah. And so I kind of feel like, um, uh, you know, and, and there, so there is such a thing as overgrazing. And, and, uh, but I also kind of feel like, you know, it's, it's fairly easy to dodge that bullet, but you got to be able to move the animals around and then you got to not eat everything. Yeah. You know, when, when the animals are in a paddock, you, you got to not obliterate, you know, right. do scorched earth. As long as you're not doing scorched earth, then you actually get this, this huge bunch of growth. Yeah. So, um, anyway, so, so he's, so this guy is saying, the, the filmmaker is saying desertification is caused by overgrazing. And then he tries to say Alan is wrong because he wants to have even more animals to the system that already has too many animals. Obviously, he's dumb. And I kind of feel like if you if you take that plot of land and you've got, like, something growing in there and you fence it off so no animals can come in, now you have caused desertification in a whole different way. Yeah. And so I, I think this guy, he's a, he is a city person who doesn't have any experience with this stuff. And it's kind of like if you got a little bit of experience with it, then you start to come to some very different conclusions. Yeah. All right. Now, here's a thing that is actually about you, Sean. Me? Oh. Can you, yeah. Can you believe it? So, all right. So uh, the filmmaker uh, has a bit where he plays a recorded phone call that says that funding is being pulled from the movie. Uh, so what? <laughs> so I, here, here's and so here's how it involves you, Sean. I'm kind of thinking like, wait, you're you're being you're being paid to make this movie? <laughs> yeah. How the fuck did that? So you. So in, at this little bit in the movie, he admits to being a shill. Uh, he's being paid to make this. There's somebody else who said, hey, I'll give you money if you make this movie. You know, I'll just pour money all over you, and you go make this movie. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I like money. And so he's a shill. For somebody who then later turned out to be a dick as well as a shill. <laughs> Never mind, I'm not going to pay you now. But this is like, what, two-thirds of the way in the movie? Yeah. And the guy like, oh, no, I'm not going to get paid. Um, and so this is – this is so I'm kind of thinking, like, I'm seeing this, like, well, wait a minute. I, I don't get paid to make movies. Um, and, and we're, you and I are not getting paid to write this book. Um, however, what we are going to do is we're going to try and do a Kickstarter to see if, if, uh, A, you know, like the cost of printing can get 
can get covered because people want to buy it in advance and they'll get a better deal by buying in advance, that kind of thing. And um, which is different, I think. Now, I, I thought I read somewhere that Cowspiracy ended up being a crowdfunded thing. Oh, so I did I, not see that. I thought I saw a mention of that somewhere, but I didn't look it up. I didn't come. Didn't have the, all the time, but <clears throat> so if nothing else, he's making the movie, and somebody's paying all the bills, and then and then that person goes yoink, and so then it's, it's not happening. So I'm I'm kind of thinking that it's like that's that says a lot right there. Like, hey, buddy, can you go make a movie talking about how bad the cattle industry is? Yeah, I'd be really curious to see where that funding was coming from. But right. Well, and then now we know it's produced by Leonardo DiCaprio. So he must have stepped in at some point and said, here's where money. Now, I, I, maybe he was the guy that was pulling out of it. I don't know. Also, I mean, I don't really – Give a shit. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to speculate on this anymore. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, the next item was is that um, he was going to go and video somebody butchering a chicken, and and he said he decided not to, and then he's got a chicken in his car, like <laughs> standing <laughs> but, on the passenger seat in the front of the car, and I'm kind of thinking like, okay, not only is that chicken going to poop all over your seat, which maybe you're like okay with that. But if the chicken starts to get wiggy for some reason and tries to hide under you. your feet, which it seems like whenever there's a loose animal in the car, that's what they want to do. I'm just going to get under your feet where these pedals are, mm-hmm. like the brake. And and it's like, so this, no, you don't leave an animal. And then not only that, but he's like driving down the road with the chicken standing in the passenger seat and taking video of that. And I'm kind of thinking like, oh, this is like, this is like got a stack of bad ideas. <laughs> yes. All right. All right. So then he, he took the chicken to a place called Animal Place. It's a farm animal sanctuary. Yeah. Okay. I want to hear what you have to say about this. And, and I, I, I'm going to guess, they didn't really say, but I'm going to guess that it's vegans who are going to take animals in and uh, let them finish out their lifespan without eating them. Yeah. And I'm kind of thinking to myself like, oh, good. I hope that they do paddock shift and stuff. And then they could like talk about like, look, we're vegans and we have animals. And, you know, the animals are making our gardens even more magnificent because Mm -hmm. intelligently. They didn't go into that at all. Um, You know, but I was just kind of thinking that that would be a cool movie. Vegans. Raising farm animals. And and he said that there's like places like this all over the country. And I was right. like, that sounds cool. That think, sounds like a movie I'd like to see. Yeah, I would see that. And I think Fred would say caring for farm animals, right? That's the language that he likes to use. Uh yeah. Yeah. Um I think I think that's good. I've I've had long conversations with Fred about um farm animal stuff and like where would be it sounds like if like he wouldn't choose to keep uh, farm animals or animals but like if he had a friend that was going to go away for the weekend and needed somebody to feed his animals 
then he would step in and help. Yeah. Um, so I, I really like uh, Fred's flavor of veganism, and I kind of feel like I, I probably ask him far too many questions. <laughs> but, um, yeah. Anyway, all right. Anyways. Uh, the next item that came up was uh, veganic. And so this is kind of like a combination of being organic and vegan, and there's more values into it than just that, uh, which I think is is pretty cool. Um, and then, uh, but I don't, I didn't write any notes about. It. I just mentioned that they, they he interviewed a guy where he's talking about like you know, we should everything veganic. Uh, then he got to a point where we're down to the end of the movie. And uh, then he, he started, like, showing these little pictures of, uh, to, like, to feed a person on an all-plant-based vegan diet for a year requires one-sixth of an acre of land. Yeah. That's what he said. Mm-hmm. I I kind of feel like, well, you know, that is entirely true, provided that you bring in a fuck ton of fertilizers and shit. Yeah. And so, but I'm, uh, I've got a, I, I've got a great YouTube video about this. Uh, half of the U- YouTube video is a couple in Portland where they've got, uh, an urban lot and it's slightly larger than an urban lot. So figure about a quarter of an acre. And I think it's actually a little bit more than a quarter of an acre. And they have, their operation includes growing stuff on the roof of the house. And they're definitely doing polyculture, permaculture systems. And the food systems are very intensive. And um, they are carefully measuring all of the food that they eat, all of the food that they harvest, and then they're also measuring what they bring in. And so um, it's this couple, and they, they were not my size of people. They were um, smaller. They were like maybe average sized. I don't know. Y'all look the same to me. (laughs) So anyway, um, and of course she's a little bit smaller than him. And, and they'd been at it for about five years and they, and they're getting a lot of food out of this and they put a lot of time into these systems to try and grow food so intensively. Yeah. Um, and he said that in five more years, he believes they might be able to optimize the systems so that they could provide 100% of her dietary needs. Yeah. And then he'd get nothing. And so, so basically, it's like, okay, and this is without inputs. This is like, you know, this is only keeping everything... It, they started the system by bringing in like tr- many, many truckloads of wood chips to help build the soil because the soil there that they started with was very poor. Um, so there's, so basically what it worked out to be is that with a, a lot of work and no inputs, you could feed a, after like 10 years of a permaculture system, you could feed one small person, but on a on like what's a little bit more than a quarter of an acre. Yeah. All right. Then I've got Helen Atow, 
who is a vegan, and and she took a very you know roundabout way to basically say that she believes, and she's a pro. She's grown the food. Yeah. She believes she could provide all of just all of her food needs just for her own self, which at this time she's gone many years of like buying almost no food. So she's probably 90, 95% of her diet comes from what she is growing and it's vegan. And so to try to provide enough food for just her and she is, she is not a large person either. She is, um, uh, so anyway, one acre. And that's without inputs. She's saying, she's saying, and she's a pro. Like her whole thing is in this space. And this is with a a polyculture permaculture system, where systems feed systems feed systems. And but it's like not as intensive of work. But this is you know she's got a market garden and she's got like seven acres in her market garden, and she's talking about like okay if I'm going to just feed me. Then it's then it's one acre. <clears throat> now at the same time, uh, there are people where it's like, oh yeah, they've grown like so many thousands of pounds of food um, uh, from this three acre plot, um, which includes a greenhouse and and then semi trucks bring in um, uh, manures and things and the other other industrial wastes. Right. And so it's like, you know, so there's, there's massive inputs in the system. And then there's also places where it's like, oh, we're on a quarter of an acre and we feed four people. And it's like, um, okay, do you buy any feed for the animals? Oh, well, yeah. The animals would starve if we didn't bring in feed. <laughs> they've got, they've got animals in their systems and they're buying food for the animals. Um, and it's like, well, maybe they could do it totally vegan, in which case they would be buying fertilizer. And working fertilizer in the system, but I don't think that they would feed six people on a quarter of an acre year round, um, you know, unless they bring in stuff from the outside. So my general rule of thumb now is that if you're not bringing in inputs from outside, then it's it's pretty much and without getting crazy about the amount of work that you'll do for this food. Yeah. It's pretty much an acre per person. Um, if you and then and if you want to work it intensively, you, you can probably get it down to half an acre per person. But I think like the, the the couple in Portland, I I think that it's like they were putting a a very significant amount of work into it, like and I would classify it as too much. Yeah. I mean, so they were doing all the permaculture tricks and all of the, all of uh, those kinds of things, and an enormous amount of work into the system. And so, um, I I think you know what a what an excellent lesson. So, all right. So this person is saying to feed a person on an all plant-based vegan diet for a year requires one sixth of an acre of land. And I think no. I don't agree. Then, then this person says, okay, a vegetarian, so that's going to include like eggs and dairy, requires three times as much. So now it's a half an acre. And so I'm going to say, no, 
I don't think so. Yeah. Then uh, the SAD diet, the standard American diet, uh, requires 18 times as much, so three acres. And, I, and I'm kind of thinking, like, no, <laughs> it's 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 still an acre. I mean, if you have three acres for one person, it's nicer. And and I think another thing is is that if you're going to raise beef, and you've got like a like a 80 acres of jungle, then you can raise five head. And and you need to raise five head. Five 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 cows is like the minimum number. Yeah. But it's kind of like okay, so then um, if you've got 80 acres of jungly stuff. And you're going to have the five head of cattle moving around, then you could, in theory. Now, of course, the thing is, is you're going to have like, okay, there's going to be families. And some families have two people, and some families have nine people. Yep. And so it's kind of like, all right. So for the total number of people, it's like, um, I'm, I'm going to just say, you can do 80 people sustainably on that, but it's going to be, you know, a certain amount of work. I would rather see a maximum number of like 40 people on that 80 acres. And so you've got two acres per person. It's a little easier work. And you can still pulse those cattle through the system. So at the same time, um, I mean, there was a, there was a mention in, the movie at some point in time about like how much meat do we need to eat and things like that. I, I kind of wonder if like 200 years ago there was the concept of like, if like you're going to eat some meat once in a while and a lot of it is going to be probably hunted or, or fished, which was, you know, there was far more of it back then. Mm -hmm. Um, but even still it's like, that kind of food is something that you're going to get access to not very often. It won't be an enormous amount of food. And then if you go into a restaurant, like let's say you live in the city, so the only food that you eat is food that is purchased. I imagine that the food that, that you eat most of the time is going to be relatively vegan. And then once in a while you're going to splurge and be like, now we're going to eat something that has more meat in it. And then it's going to be like, oh, now we're going to splurge big and we're going to not only have a steak, which is like the fanciest, most expensive thing that there is in the world. But on top of that, it's your birthday. So there's going to be birthday cake and check this out. Somebody grew a big patch of grass. They cut the seeds off and when it was dry. And then they took the seeds and they ground it into a paste. And they mixed it with this other stuff to bake it into a foam. And then you can eat this baked foam that we call cake. It's like the stupid amount of work and expense that goes into it. But, uh, hey, it's your birthday. So, no, yeah. pulling out all the plugs. And and so I guess the point I'm trying to make is I think that if we stop subsidizing everything, suddenly bread and corn chips and meat becomes more expensive. Yep. 
And, uh, yeah. And, uh, and I think that um, a lot of these other crops are not going to be so much. Plus, the other thing is if you're growing your own garden, it's kind of like, what are the things that are the easiest to grow a certain – because that's another thing, too, is that they start talking about pounds. Like, oh, we, we grew off the three-acre spot. We grew so many pounds of food. And it's kind of like – I kind of like to get an idea of the number of calories. Because, yeah. like, you could grow an enormous amount of greens, but it's like it's not, it's not putting out a lot of calories. Yeah. And so I'd, I'd kind of like to, to hear about the calorie thing. Um, cause pounds, it's like, yeah, there's pounds of water. Water weighs a lot. But, um, but then, you know, you can eat lots of that and it's like not going to sustain you. So, all right. I have one last note. And, and this comes from, uh, uh, newint.com. Org, uh, and I didn't read up more about this guy or anything like that. But but a, so this is the guy that's a vegan, so he's reviewing the movie. Okay. So he addresses the part where animal agriculture is responsible for 51% of global greenhouse gas emissions. So this newint.org guy writes: emissions from livestock agriculture, including the methane from animals' digestive systems, deforestation land use change, and energy use make up around 15% of global emissions, not 51%. I've been vegan for 14 years and have been asked to justify my dietary weirdness at more friend and family meals than I can count. So believe me, I've looked into it. If meat and dairy really were the biggest cause of global climate change, I'd be trumpeting that statistic myself every chance I got, but I don't because it's not true. So that's the end of my notes. Hooray, we did what it. What else do you have? Uh, you have that, I'm good. Oh, okay. I I feel like I'm a I'm a better person for having watched Cowspiracy. I, I I actually felt that there were there were a lot of good things in there. I do feel like the things that I appreciated though were dominantly political. I feel like the solutions were not the solutions I would advocate, and uh, which is part of the reason why you and I have spent the last year writing this book. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I I do think that like if the pod people were to go and watch the movie, I, I think, I think that you would get things out of it. You would get a fair bit out of it. So it, at the very least, I think it's helpful to understand more like what people who do choose to go vegan for, for carbon footprint reasons and, and these reasons to under, like, I feel like I understand better what they've been told. And that's helpful. Right. I agree. There's, there's going to be a lot of people that watch this movie and they are now vegans because of this movie. Yeah. And so, I mean, uh, I think, 
I, I think it's wise to let them go ahead and be vegans until they're done. But, but really, I, I think that um, there's, I, uh, there's two big things for being a vegan. One is, is that if you, if you try the vegan diet for like a month and you feel like you've developed superpowers, clearly the vegan diet is for you, and that's what you should stick with. Absolutely. And so um, I'd say uh, so. there's that. And uh, and then the next thing is is that I feel like I respect a person twenty times more if if they're going to eat meat, they raise that, they pamper that animal. That that animal is living a far more luxuriant life than if it was in the wild. Yeah. And then that person harvests that animal themselves in a respectful and decent fashion. I kind of feel like each time you harvest an animal, it does take something out of your soul. It takes a piece out. And so if you're choosing to travel this path and you're owning your shit in, in that manner, then um, 20 times more respect than if you're just, you know, buying it. And I, and I kind of feel like the number one reason why I think I would like to believe that a person chooses to be vegan is that they can't, well, I'm not saying they can't. They, they would rather eat an apple than than do the do the difficult job of that harvest and and further they don't try to to take on a mind space to make the job less difficult right or get someone else to do it so they don't think about it or any of those other things yeah that it's like it it is a respectful ownership of what you're about to do now I gotta tell you that if you raise chickens that are a variety of chicken where they are little fuckers and they just attack every single time you go outside, the job gets a lot easier. <laughs> this task, and it's like, and then when you're eating that animal, you're saying like, "Yeah, take that, you little fucker. That'll teach you. Don't attack a guy that's like 200 times your size." <laughs> but, you know, that's a, that's a different story for a different day. I think. Yeah. Um, uh, so I, I do kind of feel like um, like if you take on that bit and then you kind of have this feeling of like, I I don't want to lose this little piece of my soul. I like this little piece of my soul. Therefore, I'm, I'm choosing to not kill this, this animal. That, big, big respect for that as well. Yeah. Big respect. Um, I've done a fair bit of fishing, and I've 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 eaten a fair bit of fish, and uh, I gotta say that um, I don't really have that trouble with fish. Um, I do have that trouble a little bit with chickens, and mm-hmm. more so with with pigs. Not not a huge amount, but but with a, a lovely cow. It's, 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 oh, that one's hard for me. Mm. But of course, you know, it is, that's a lot of meals. Yeah. Yeah. 
And so I, I also kind of feel like if we're going to talk about the whole thing about animals and being a vegan and stuff like that, there is the whole thing about like if if it's um, machine harvested, you lose a lot of animals in the machine harvesting. Yes. So, you know, there's a lot of death in being a vegan. It doesn't come with the four-color brochure about how awesome veganism is. Right, if you buy your food conventionally from the store. I think it comes back to, like, hey, vegans, grow a garden, grow a magnificent garden, and harvest by hand. Yeah. And and that way you know that there was no petroleum put into the fertilizers. There's no petroleum that was put into moving it around or you know, moving the fertilizers to the farm or, you know, anything. There's, there's just no petroleum in it whatsoever. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's you and you're saving your own seeds and the sun and the soil, you know, that's, that's, that's a beautiful thing. That's a soul building experience. And I think that if you're going to buy your vegan food from a grocery store, you got to own that it isn't, it isn't free of death. Yes. So, you know, and, and I, I guess the last words are, I, I do think the vegan path is a, is a noble choice. And um, I, I don't want anybody to get the idea that I don't think of the vegan path as a, as a noble choice. So um, I'm, yeah. uh, I'll say that a hundred more times, I'm sure, um, before I'm dead. Yeah. And I think we also emphasize that in the book quite a bit. Yeah. And I think, yeah, it's good for us to do that. And it's, I think it's easy to look at, you know, we just talked about this movie and why we don't like it, but, or what, why we don't like parts of it, I guess. But I think it's, it's still as a part of a, a view that says, you know, if, if this is a fit for you, then that's, that's okay. Go ahead. So if you like this sort of thing, Come on out to the forums at permies.com where we talk about how to reduce your own carbon footprint, homesteading, and permaculture all the time. Don't forget, go out to patreon.com slash paulwheaton and make a pledge for future artifacts. 